You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Night here with Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 19... 77 undisputed classic the hills have eyes i'm the beast now yes yes you are the beast and i am not the beauty but we do have a face for radio (laughs) you'd be like me and people telling me while i was in school that it's very interesting that I chose radio because I don't have a voice that you often hear on the radio, while at the same time telling us not to do the ridiculous radio guy voice. And I was just like, that's not a compliment. I don't know. When we've done our voice for radio, I think that that's entertaining. I, I certainly don't have a uh, morning drive voice by any means. And I think that sometimes we devolve into our NPR personas that's true more often than not that's a voice for radio you're you're more lydia peaver and not leaping lydia here in the morning exactly yeah i don't think i've ever been leaping lydia that's that's, if you were a, a morning show host you definitely would be leaping lydia i wouldn't let you not be leaping lydia jesus christ that's horrific that's that's almost as horrific as this wonderful film that we're about to talk about uh that was a request from thomas yes a thomas request it's been a little while since we've done requests um we do do them though uh we will derail all of our carefully laid out plans you see to please you our loyal listeners because then we'll be enough you will like us if we just do the things that you want us to do i'll dance i'll do any dance you want or I'll talk about any movie that you want. So will Lydia, kicking and screaming sometimes, but she'll talk about them. Yeah, and not only will we do the movie that is the topic, but we're going to do the remake. So yeah. at the end of the show, when Wes asked me what we're doing next, I'll actually know what we're doing next. Yeah, <laughs> um, which is convenient. Uh, we've done a few Wes Craven films, and, you know, Wes Craven is fun to talk about for me because we shared the same first name. A lot of people that I'd, when I was in the dating scene, thought that it was a fake name that I was using to associate myself closer with horror, which is wild. Yeah. I'm not even joking. I don't know if I ever told you that, but two different women that I went on dates with on Tinder, they asked me if I was using a fake name because Wes is like Wes Craven and Nipe sounds like knife so they're just like are you trying to is that like your horror persona name i'm like no that is my christian name i just (laughs) and what a wild leap i'm glad you think it's as powerful as like max power and that it is a horror persona name i mean i've gotten that too twice as well um and one from someone that i'd known for a number of years uh, until they saw my id one day when we'd gone out and they were like, oh my God, your name actually is Lydia Peaver. And I'm like, what the fuck? Of course it is. It's because they think Lydia like Lydia Deeds and Peaver like Cleaver. Or or like that I'm going to peeve you off. <laughs> Old Peavy. Why would I give a fake name? 
if I want to date you, here's my here's the first thing about me that's not true. Is that how you want to start a relationship with somebody? And if you wanted to choose a powerful horror persona name like Nick Cutter, that's a great pen name. And I mean, you could be like, why, why not just be like Rich Slaughter? Yeah. Wes Splatterhouse. That'd be cool. They call me the Meat Man. Pleased to meet you. Pleased to meet you. <laughs> Wes Cleaver. Wes. Yeah. West Cleaver. Please to meet ya. Yeah, it's like Leave It to Cleavers. It's my horror Leave It to Beaver spinoff. No, I think that's that's ridiculous. West Craven is an is a fantastic name. I thought Thurston Craven was a great name too, as far as Cravens go. But yeah, West Craven. I mean, it is a power name, isn't it? It is for someone so um, soft spoken and you know the reigning horror intellectual that people liked to um associate with it but there's a different west craven lids there's a west craven the early years that seemed to be making a lot uh, or speaking to a lot of darker perhaps sensibilities he might have had festering up in him before he kind of became the groovy grandpa that we all knew him as because if you look at the hills have eyes and you look at last house on the left these are very dark films hills less dark than last house but there's still a lot of overlapping themes that occur in both films both of the deconstruction of the family both show how tighten uh buttoned up people can really let loose and get a good murder on under the right circumstances and there was something about his early films these two early films in particular because he did do other things, which she liked to point out, that weren't horror-related. But these two films in particular is a side of Wes Craven that you don't really see ever again. Nightmare on Elm Street, as everyone knows, is its own thing. There are dark elements that are kind of pushed to the side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the raw shittiness of human nature is, is not really at the forefront nightmare on elm street and scream and uh his other films uh even people under the stairs they're cartoonish in their presentation where this is still you know sitting in the realm of that 16 millimeter vietnam type footage that he was really into in his early days one for cost another for artistic reasons so I, I, I just, I, I suppose when I look at Wes Craven, the horror maestro, I always kind of, I'm sitting there wondering, what if he never lightened it up? What if he always stayed last house and hills have eyes raw? He was being influenced so much by what he viewed as the decay of American morals, the, um, problems with the American political structure, the, the problems with the gaps in economy between rich and poor, and the destitution and the and the struggle of so many people mm -hmm. around him. And if he wasn't influenced or keeping his influences within the French extreme, where he was wildly influenced by an independent underground, the New York scene, a lot of those very gritty, very, not quite grindhouse, of course, but just wanting to do things his own maverick way. And like a lot of those filmmakers were, if he would have remained there, I like, you want to say he wouldn't have seen the success 
that he saw, but who knows? Because he did have a very uh, adept finger on the pulse of what was important to people. And mm-hmm. he was talk of the town already with those two films. If he would have remained in that darkness without wanting to lighten it up. But he wanted to lighten it up even after The Last House because he wanted to create films that weren't horror. He wanted yeah. to be a filmmaker, right? Mm-hmm. So it was it was more than just wanting to be a horror filmmaker mm-hmm. at all at every turn. He He didn't really want to remain there. So I don't think it would have been even possible for him to remain there. But if he would have... Would we be talking about him right now? Um, I don't know. You definitely have a point. Uh, I didn't hadn't really thought about it in, in that in that batch of auteur horror directors. He's arguably the most successful. He created mm-hmm. he he created very viable franchises that people you know can love Toby Hooper's work and people can love John Carpenter's work and and um and people like that but at the end of the day Wes Craven undoubtedly made way more films that made way more money which as we both know is the bar for traditional success right it's not like you know you look at something like Carpenter's work it's it's a lot of um cult classics it's a lot of hits in that circle that follows that type of stuff but most of his films didn't really make a lot of money uh you know which is why i was so happy when the new halloween movie came out you know that he had his hands on it and he got people kind of like pushed the dusty old guy out into the light a little bit and they're just like can you play the halloween theme on this little toy for five minutes and everyone's like yay um but like wes craven was this person that like like i mean like say what you want about the scream movies those fucking movies made a boatload of money and you know, he, you know, I'm not saying everything that he made was a huge success, but he certainly was very successful by evolving his style. And he was at the forefront of the self-referential meta horror movement that I just, you know, with Wes Craven's new nightmare. And then he, he went ahead and just made the movie again and called it Scream. <laughs> and helping to produce other horror filmmakers as well so he definitely used his powers for good instead of evil from the get-go and and it seems that he wanted to i don't know if he would have ever envisioned the sort of success that he had seen Mm -hmm. up until his final days like really he was um a a godfather of that sort of horror filmmaking and being able to, to reach out beyond horror and also of looking like a cuddly old grandpa accountant guy more so than a horror filmmaker. Yeah, very fascinating guy. And I, I will always be in the camp of his earliest work is is my favorite. Not to say that I don't like things like People Under the Stairs and stuff like that. I love that movie too. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you know, and Scream certainly exists. So that is something to take note of. I'm sure for a lot of people, but um, fuck all that. Today we're talking about The Hills Have Eyes. Lids, what the fuck is this movie even about anyways? This movie is about movie stars and fancy cars. Or not. It's about going off the beaten path and how you should just stick to what you fucking know. Don't go into people's houses. We've learned this from horror films. Don't take the shortcut. Don't take the long cut. Mm -hmm. Stay on the map. Stay on the beaten path. Go where you know. Go where you know. 
Yeah, go where you know, or else you're going to meet up with fucking Sonny Bean and his troop of cannibals. <laughs> Not before you meet the mysterious old timer, who, by the way, is another owner of an oasis. We we had Slauson in Tourist Trap, but Fred's Oasis, uh, it's an oasis of gasoline, mind you, but it is still an oasis. Says so right on the building lids. You can't make that up. I'm surprised it has gasoline. It's like no mole gas, it says, for miles. So you know you're in the middle of podunk nowhere. And I'm surprised he has gas, considering how he is packing up to fucking get out of here. Mm -hmm. He is done with this area. He's done with the destitution. He's done with this hard scrabble life. He's done with his neighbors, let's call them. He just wants the fuck out of there. So I'm surprised he even has gas to sell at this point. But yeah, it is the gas station of doom trope and maybe the fount of many gas stations of doom to come. It's true because, you know, you think about, you know, dark gas stations in older films. You got stuff like Deliverance. You got stuff like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You got, you know, there's, you know, and and then, of course, like, you know, you have people who um, ape that shit. Like, you know, Cabin, not Cabin in the Woods. Well, there is a fucking one in Cabin in the Woods. I was thinking about um, Cabin Fever. That's what I was thinking about. So this movie starts off with with just this fucking family going across country and by the way everyone's there we got mom we got dad we got kids we got their husbands we got dogs we got birds fucking everything you could want this is rv life isn't it i guess that is what the american dream boils down to once you're done with your picket fence baseball games and pie you pack it all that shit into an RV and drive it across country, I guess. It is, that does not appeal to me whatsoever. And I'm sure it appeals to some people to have your fucking house on wheels. But it just smacks of, of filth to me. <laughs> I just couldn't handle having bird droppings and my food in the same small contained space. Well, you know what they say, Lids. RVs are so small, it gets so messy so fast, you know. Sad. <laughs> so messy, so fast. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad that the two people that want to bang constantly are in the car, at least. Yeah. The incomparable D. Wallace is in this movie as Lynn. And this was like her second picture or something like that. So yeah, early on. Uh, for she's sure. fresh. She's fresh. Yeah. She does so well, though. Yeah. This isn't the D. Wallace of E.T. or uh, what else did she do? Howling and uh, what am I forgetting? Cujo. Um, Mm-hmm. This isn't that D. Wallace. This is a younger D. Wallace. Um, the Carters are heading off to California. It's uh, a little bit of Beverly Hillbillies, um, except they're, you know, well-to-do. And one's an ex-sheriff. And they're going through this area. And this whole area, by the way, is now like a military testing ground. They're like doing dropping bombs and shit like that there's a lot of radiation in the area and we know something's up because at the very beginning of the movie before we even meet the cutters we meet ruby who looks like a flintstone and is asking fred to take her with him in which he cackles out loud at the very notion that she could ever pass as a non-flintstone the non-Flintstone. 
We don't even have a Barney Rubble for me to draw a parallel to with this movie. There was no Barney Rubbles in sight, really, at all, unfortunately, because you know how much I love a good Barney Rubble. Mars? He's a bit of a Barney Rubble. I'm sorry. No, he's not really a Barney Rubble. None of them count as a Barney Rubble. Not even the most Barney Rubble of them all. But no, this is definitely Pebbles. That is a great parallel to draw. She is a fucking Flintstone. But I remember I was working at the satellite office of a engineering firm and it was very much like a satellite office of an engineering firm it was a field office so it was all hard hats and steel-toed boots very um, dusty environment very blue collar and the principal engineers would, would come in from time to time to do business and whatever and I had asked like are there jobs available for me at head office and they looked at me much like Ruby is looked at here with like well it's a very different environment Lydia oh and I was I hid my my insult, right? I felt so insulted, but I was just like, I got it. Oh, I got it, asshole. What did you say the other day? They they were treating you like the bumpkin in the boardroom. They definitely were. And it was it was unfortunate because I'm thinking to myself, Well, you do see me in in a hard hat and work boots or a snapback cap and my hair up and I'm filthy because I'm here yeah. in the environment you created. Yeah. And people are 90% their environments, so I can get why they would have thought that, but... I guess. But it's like, who does construction in, like, an Armani suit or something like that? Is that what they're suggesting? Like, like you can't you can't take a shower and put on some clothes? It's impossible to dress for the job you want in an environment like that, and it's dangerous, <laughs> to yeah, say the least. That's so, true. yeah, I mean, okay, sure. That was just their perception at the time, but it was also a perception that they had created. So it was just an awkward moment. But I I felt very much for Ruby at this moment because I think that with a bath, some some toothbrush, some hairbrushing action, she she would have been able to pass. And I mean, it's also the late 70s. Stick her down in Haight-Ashbury and no one would be able to tell the difference between her goddamn Flintstone ways, her cannibalistic Flintstone ways, and the Manson girls. You know what? They're, you're absolutely right. And Lids, we do get to see her cleaned up in The Hills Have Eyes too, where she you would we where, do where she is now. Uh, she turns to Rachel and no longer Ruby. Uh, she's she's put her cannibalistic baby eating slash dog eating ways behind her and is now joined a biker gang like the Warriors. I'm surprised I didn't call her Venus, considering. Why do you think she's the only one that doesn't have a planet name? Is it because she's a girl? I guess so. And Mama doesn't either. Yeah. <laughs> Unless her name's Mama Venus. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Venus is the only name I could think of for a girl in this clan because she is the fire. What's your desire? Babies. <laughs> you want to talk about awkward? You want to talk about chaotic? You want to talk about goddamn fucking obnoxious the carter family rolling into this fucking gas station fucking bunch of idiots in a partridge in a pear tree like holy fuck it is it is loud and obnoxious and and just they're all over the place every character is talking to each other while you know big bob is like just trying to get some fucking gas like jesus christ and I've never quite got that because like a lot of times when we were on family trips, like 
one person would be delegated to go into the place to do the thing. Uh, Dad would get the gas, I suppose, or whoever was driving. And it's not like everyone piles out and makes it their fucking home. Yeah. If we had a dog, sure, you'd take a dog out, but, like, you don't let the dogs run around and snoop, and you don't, like, get into trouble. You don't all split up, either. Yeah. Like, that's a, that is a weird... They just sort of, like, spread out and fucking claim land as if it, they're pissing on it for their own. It's just very awkward. And, and nosiness. They're poking around this place. Like, it is very much at home in a horror film where they're going places they ought not go. And making stuff their business. I really find that very annoying about this family. And I find Big Bob super fucking annoying, of course, because he's just a tiring fucking character. He's a horrible, horrible man. And on the other hand, I do like his wife. His wife is fantastic. <laughs> uh, yeah. His 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 wife is, is just like that quintessential sort of like dish raggy woman who's not present. You know, doesn't really seem <laughs> like she knows what the fuck is going on like it it vaguely seems like some kind of like early dementia or something like that just how vacant she is it reminds me of the mother's little helper she's probably like dosed on on xanax or valium absolutely it's fucking chaos around her and she's swatting big bob being like oh you watch your language and it's like everyone is a fucking chaos machine around you and you're just like oh bob watch your language so they want to take this back road. Fred, our, our gas station attendant, warns them over and over and over again. Not like literally his last few lines are just don't take the back road or stay off the back road um, over and over and over again. And, and then, of course, immediately now we're treated to th- this really, really loud and I keep saying loud and chaotic, but there's no other way to describe it, really. You have military planes flying overhead. You have the mother in the front seat fucking around with this map. And you have the kids, Brenda and Bobby, in the back screaming, just fucking screaming. They're so loud and so obnoxious that the dad runs off the fucking road. And of course he blames them because he could have tuned them in, as my dad would have put it, or he could have ignored them or stopped the vehicle. Slowed this down chaos going on. This is also Bobby's best acting because um, nothing against Robert Houston, who played Bobby, but I, I think that he is a cardboard cutout for most of this film. And he does have these sparkling, creepy eyes. Other than that, he's just very interestingly acted it's like he's being fed his lines a moment before being filmed it's very he's very awkward but so this is where he shines in this chaotic scene you didn't like all of his backflips and shit no i didn't like all of his backflips walking on his hands and ridiculousness no no it was just distracting and it didn't take away from the fact that i i'm pretty sure and, and chris is the one that brought this up pretty sure he's drunk Pretty sure he's hammered, wasted throughout the whole thing. He does have like a um, a slipperiness to him where he looks like he's got that film of drunk on him. And we'll get to Bobby in a second because there is a baffling aspect to this person's character. And I don't think, I don't heap it on the actor's shoulders. It's the script doesn't make, I'm not going to say it doesn't make any sense because that's, that implies that you need it to be more complicated than what it is. However, 
-hmm. in horror you need to pull the taffy on the tension a little bit but we'll get to it in a second because what ends up happening is they fuck up their car and now they got to go for help so the idea is is you have big bob mustachio doug doug old dougie he they're gonna go off try to get some fucking help and supplies they're gonna go separate ways at yeah. that bobby is going to mind the women folk and that's pretty much it they have a pair of dogs beauty and the beast they casually bring up a story about how the beast killed a poodle um to let you know that this movie if you were to ask me is about our lord and savior the fucking beast the most competent character in any horror movie ever and like exactly who you want to have with you um in any given scenario because when they go their separate ways beauty the delicate flower pair of the dogs catches wind of something they're being watched we don't know by whom we can assume that they're related to whomever ruby is related to they make mention of you know big papa but um the dog runs off bobby takes off like a fucking shot after the dog and the dog is killed and bobby sees the dog and it's not like uh, the the dog is like disemboweled it is completely fucking eviscerated and bobby mm -hmm. takes off into the woods and is seemingly gone for at least an hour at least until dark comes back and doesn't fucking tell anybody what happened to the dog doesn't it, it is one of the craziest fucking decisions that beyond breaks um my uh, suspension of disbelief absolutely and we've mentioned before in other movies like these characters need to communicate and it's unnatural that they wouldn't it's very unnatural at this point because he is otherwise vacant you know, and he's basically being entrusted with these dogs from the beginning. When he was snooping around the gas station earlier, he had a dog with him. And he has been entrusted with one of the two dogs. They are very invested in their dogs. Very, very much. All of them are. They're always asking where the dogs are, what the dogs are up to. And they're constantly telling their dogs to shut up because their dogs are sort of like free-range dogs for the most part. And with that, going back to that conversation of them talking about how the beast had killed a poodle. They had this very like serves you right for stepping up to our family <laughs> kind of attitude. <laughs> they did not give a shit. Seems to me that if a child would have been in the place of fucking beast's jaws, they would have been like, well, that's what happens. Yeah. Crazy dogs. <laughs> it seems that one of them would have demanded to know where beauty was, not just flippantly ask or then forget to ask or assume that she's tied up somewhere. And then something will immediately happen. And when they eventually, when Bobby eventually explains to them what happened to the dog, they like, they're like, why didn't you tell us? And he's like, I tried. It's like, you wicked didn't, man. You did not no. fucking try. And we're not even sold on the fact that he's super conflicted about it. He, he sort of says, he tries to pull Doug aside and be like, yeah, I got to tell you something. But he doesn't like, why not just say it in front of the women? It is like, sure, 1977, but women's liberation had happened. Mm -hmm. There was, we're into the second wave of feminism. And these were pretty strong, intelligent women 
really. Even the 50s mom, who's probably dosed on Valium, swatting her husband's swear words away and making hot dogs. All she cares about is making food for people. But, like, she is an intelligent and strong woman capable of making decisions that everyone does look up to and respect. Same with Dee Wallace's character, Lynn. Like, she is a super strong woman with the wherewithal to make decisions. And you don't get the vibe that they are cloistered, second-rate citizens by any means. Except for that Bobby refuses to talk about the dead dog in front of anybody but Doug. For whatever fucking reason. Until it's forced out of him. Particularly since their father went to go to the gas station... And not, he did have farther to go, as Doug will mention, and he is older, so it it's not like it's an easy walk for him, but it's get it's like past 11 o'clock, and now their father hasn't returned. We've seen that their father has gotten to the gas station, and he gets a little campfire story. A little campfire story about Madman Mars. He was 20 pounds and hairy like a monkey. <laughs> 20 pounds and hairy like a monkey. Yeah. Just about tore his mum in half. So, yeah, the gas station owner had a son. He had a son who was 20 pounds as a baby, hairy like a monkey. And by the time his son was 10 years old, he was the size of a full-grown Fred. I don't know how tall that old man is, but he says it was the same size <laughs> as him. A terrifying prospect in and of itself. His son burned down the house and killed their daughter or Fred's uh, daughter, this boy's younger sister. And I guess the mother must have been in the house too or something. And then Fred hit him in the head and cracked his face wide open and then left him in the desert to die. And he didn't. And he lived... The only thing that's not really explained is where'd mama come from? Did like some woman like wander in the desert and just take a good look at old Jupiter and just be like, hairy like a monkey, eh? Well, I'm fixing to bed you. Yeah, I'd have to say <laughs> that's about how it went. Like, I'm sure if she wasn't a kidnap victim or something, no, they don't really say, or was she out there to begin with? When he stumbled out into the desert, she took him in. I don't know. The weird thing about this uh, family, this uh, family of cannibals and inbred people, I guess they're inbred, I don't know, it's hard to say, is like the only one that has the a really sort of like unique look to them where you're just like, because like the idea is like they're mutants, right? They're like mutants because of the military radiation. But they really just kind of just look like dirty hillbillies. Like, do you... like? Let me ask you this, like, do you feel as though the military radiation aspect is necessary at all? Like, why do they have to be mutant monsters? Because they don't look monstrous to me. They just look like they're wearing furs. They're all fairly articulate with the exception of, um, uh, who is it, Mercury? Mercury is mm -hmm. a dimwit. But um, other than that, like, why do they have to be mutants is my question no Why mercury's dim-weightedness is, is put on uh for the most part because it's mostly encouraged for him to to behave like that so i'm sure he could have straightened out a little bit with uh, some reading writing and arithmetic but <laughs> of course with the 
exception of Michael Berryman. Jupiter grew into his features for the most part. Sure, he has a, a face cleaved in half with pretty pretty decent makeup, really. But like, other than that, you know, jarring disfigurement, he isn't you know a mutant otherwise. Ruby's certainly not a mutant, other than her teeth. And the other guys, yeah, there's there's nothing really wrong with them. It doesn't seem at all, except that they are filthy. But then they would fit right in with the hippie lifestyle, let's say, or some sort of like rambling pilgrims of the U.S. just sort of getting by off the grid. They they don't strike me as as mutants whatsoever. They're not really as savage as you would think. They're really more opportunistic, in my opinion. It seems as though even if there wasn't a baby, they were, uh, what did the Mansons call it when they went robbing people in the middle of the night for supplies? Creepy crawling. Creepy crawling. It seemed like that's really more what they were doing. Like, grab some food, grab some flashlights, some gasoline. Like, you know, Jupiter, I think, really only killed Fred because Fred, like, spilled the beans, basically said, like, like told his backstory. And he's like, I told you never to fucking say my secret origin, old man. And he kills him and then uh, crucifies Big Bob and burns him alive. Mostly for fun, too, because I think he would have killed his dad for revenge ages ago, if that's what it was about. Yeah. Maybe they had a Sawyer family problem, too, where their father's gas station was the only reason anyone came out there. So once that was threatened, they went sort of supernova. It could be that too. Yeah. I I mean, I don't mean to like try to like ask questions no one's really asked before because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. You have like a mutated, hostile, quote unquote, evil family versus the affluent, all American, blonde haired, blue eyes family. This theme that we'll see played over and over again, not only in Wes Craven's work, but like Toby Hooper, I feel like where like you know if you look at texas chainsaw massacre it's a lot more subtle about why the the sawyer family would hate outsiders Mm -hmm. whereas the hills have eyes beelines for the obvious jupiter has honestly like one of my favorite moments in the film is when he's sort of like tough talking a corpse where he's basically like eating the dad and looking at his burnt corpse around a campfire with his family and saying you come down here and you like sticking sticking my nose in your life and and shit like that and he's just so resentful of the prototypical american family that he has no chance of being part of Uh, i love that whole sequence Mm -hmm. and it owns up to a line of his father's earlier where his father had said that he lived out there long enough for a devil kid to grow into a devil man and you, you sort of feel sorry for Jupe a little bit up until the point that you see him behaving the way that he is. He is a devil man. He is a horrible, exploitive, hate-filled monster. And if there's any sort of monstrousness in that, it is his psyche that is completely monstrous. Because, yeah, you could scrub him down and dress him up. Put a bag over his head, maybe. That might help. Put a bag over Mama's head. Mama's weird to me because she seems to have a choice, much like Ruby has a choice. And Ruby wants to seize that choice and run with it. And she does eventually. And she is a good person underneath all that grime. But Mama is, I, I don't know if, if her 
she's like a sow pig beast that just wants to have babies or something. Ugh. Have babies and eat them too. <laughs> it's baffling to me because one of the things that I will say is um, very interesting. And I don't know if it's by design, but the actors in this troupe, this pack of, of characters, they all seem to be in different movies or seem to have a different idea about what they're supposed to be portraying because in on the one hand characters like mama like characters like mercury seem to be going for that hillbilly deep south inbred like sal like the sal woman is like such a good because she like fuck she's just lying there half the time like she's not doing anything yeah and and meanwhile, you have, you know, uh, Jupiter who's like pontificating. He's he's orating. He's he's sermonizing. He's very much like a Manson-esque cult leader, he sounds like. And then you have Michael Berryman, who's just like talking normally, seems kind of normal. He's yeah. just like, hello, everyone. It's me, Michael Berryman. I'm a mutant from the hills. And there's, there's like, and I'm not saying he's doing a bad job, oh, no. but then you have the guy playing Mars, who's just like a wild man. Mars is like a wild man, but he also has an angle where Pluto also has an angle of this, where they're like vigilantes and they're some sort of coup against modern man who will uh, rape and pillage, not necessarily rape in the sexual connotation of the word, but to glean everything that they can and scavenge everything that they can off of what's around them and then go back under the cover of night to their little hiding mm -hmm. hole and they rely very much on like technology a little bit with their walkie-talkie radios and knowing the lay of the land apparently better than most people in this area and have protected sort of boundaries imaginary boundaries within their minds mars is, is a little bit like a um he reminds me of the Larry Gowan music video, Strange Animal. <laughs> have you ever seen that? Yeah, I have seen that. That's some Canadian deep cuts right there for people. But wow. I, I highly recommend checking out Strange Animal by Larry Gowan to see maybe what it would have happened to Mars if he'd been left to his own devices. There, It seems to be that at the, at the end of the day, everybody answers to Jupiter he he is the top dog for sure. Um, I can tell you who the top dog is in a Carter family. The literal dog, the beast, who fucking kills one of these people too sweet. It's like it's it's a little unbelievable to 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 think that they could figure out that he was pushed to his death, but but like it's crazy because this like not only does this dog know that these guys are the enemy and pushes one of them off of a cliff to his fucking death he then has the presence of mind to take the fucking radio back to the family if we want to go canadian deep like, cuts it's as very little as hobo it is little as hobo it's like the beast is just like oh this will be very good for reconnaissance <laughs> like Bringing it back to the family, just... who I otherwise ignore because I'm a free-range dog of my own devices. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's weird to me that they would know that he's pushed. Only The only thing owing to that is that they are like little billy goats that traipse around these rocky terrains all day. So 
he must have fallen. He couldn't have tripped and fallen. He must have been pushed if he fell. Yeah, and they did They did see uh, dog tracks. And this is where uh, Pluto has this, like, he starts to create, like, a um, lore around it. Like, Ruby, too, they, they, this idea of, like, they killed Beauty and the beast is, like, the ghost or this devil dog that has, like, come to get revenge for the fact that they killed this dog. And I was just like, like, you've all, like, set up lore around this dog that you killed? Like, it's wild to me. And so, like, there's so much reverence for this dog, which, by the way, continues on into the next movie. So, like, it's not <laughs> like, it's not like the beast is like, you never hear from him again. You don't hear from a lot of characters from the first movie again, except the dog. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, he is the hero of the film. And he is the, uh, kind of a reluctant hero at that because he's just doing what dogs do for the most part. Except for retrieving the radio and bringing it back, which is just strange. Mm-hmm. The the Carter family has been sieged, by the way. We kind of glossed over that. But they know what's up. Bobby has spilled the beans. You know, Dad hasn't come back. And all of a sudden... When the when Jupiter springs his trap, it's really more that he just lights the father up like a fucking Christmas tree. This like this sort of scrappy amount of chaos is very fun to watch because you have Pluto and Mars attacking the RV where Lynn and the mother rescue Brenda, who's being terrorized by these two men and you see a quick succession of like the Carter family, the, the patriarch is dead. D Wallace's character gets shot twice of while struggling with Mars stabs him in the thigh. And then the mom gets fucking shot in the stomach. And I love that Doug's idea is like, Oh man, you've been shot in the, tr- the stomach. Let's get some blankets on you. You must be cold. No, really. And the younger Brenda is like pretty much useless at this point because she's gone into shock and is almost comatose. Oh, yeah. The mom, too, even before she shot, is like, that's not my Bob. Oh, that's not Bob. He doesn't look like Bob because the guy has been like fucking burned alive. And that's quite a reaction to considering she had suffered him so lightly. You, you would think that that sort of veneer of 50s mom would continue and she would, you know, start pampering him or like making some sort of excuses for his appearance or telling him to watch his language or that that would persist but no she shuts right down almost as if not to say that she's thankful he's gone or leaving because he's not quite dead when they encounter him but just that's not my bob that's not my bob and she just repeats that in shock but it's also just totally at odds with her nurturing forgiving character that puts up with so much of his shit it's it i found it very fascinating that she just nope that's not my bob Mm -hmm. it's a it's a complete shutdown meanwhile mars and pluto have stolen a baby little baby katie which you know when they first encounter this this troop and this is like that sort of disconnect amongst the group of cannibals that you pointed out I always found that they're overacting very much so. And it's very uh, oogity boogity. Look at me. I'm a crazy cannibal. And the camera doesn't help because it's right up in their faces while they're like, ooh. ooh. You get the, in- the, in the, the impression that they're going to like 
going to assault Brenda, but they never really do. And they're just like, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> Crazy. Exactly. The only person that gives him a sideways look is the baby. The baby gets this look like, what the fuck, guys? And it's probably the most adorable moment for the baby in this entire movie because it just looks, it side-eyes people. The baby side-eyes people all through this film. I guess the idea is that we're supposed to believe that off camera somehow that Brenda had been raped. I suppose we're supposed to believe that or it came close enough to that she might as well have been. That's what we're supposed to, I think, glean. And we're also supposed to glean that something very horrible is going to happen to this baby just by virtue of their taking it. And they seem to pass the baby off like a football for a little bit. Oh, man. There's a scene later on when Ruby's running with the baby where, like, I was like, uh, you would definitely kill that infant if you were running with it like that, but whatever. Yeah. When when they initially steal the baby, there's a part of me that's like, what if they're going to take that baby to, like, swell their ranks? Like, here's just, like, another, like, like another person, another piece of genetic material to add to the pile so we can like sort of suss out some of these mutations and she will be the 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 normal one like in the monsters but no no it's they're gonna eat it they just want to eat it they're gonna eat the baby but there seems to be a little bit of back and forth because they have that pay to eat if they really wanted to and maybe yeah they could swell their ranks they need another ruby someday ruby's gonna have had enough or probably end up getting killed or or something like who knows uh, they don't seem to like or respect Ruby. Not that there's respect to be asked for within this clan necessarily outside of Pluto who demands it, but or outside of Jupiter who demands it. But like they, they should keep this baby. It's a female baby at that. I mean, mama's getting old. She's going to be past her uh, bleeding years any, any minute now. Oh, so they're going to need another mom type person or... You know, maybe that's where Ruby's destined to end up. I'd rebel against that too if I were Ruby. But like, yeah, they're, they're going to eat it. I guess that they've done this before. Yeah. You know, the uh, th- this is where I kind of was thinking about like Doug's reaction to a lot of things. Because Doug is like, these are his in-laws, right? Mm-hmm. So, So I remember like when Big Bob died, he seemed like, you know, not as sad as everybody else. I'd use the word hysterical. But... Um, as everyone else was where he was just like well bob you're dead and but then of course when lynn dies that's the person that he's really upset with but then he's very preoccupied by the fact that his baby was stolen meanwhile bobby is just like staring off into the fucking horizon and brenda just won't stop fucking screaming yeah there's a lot of screaming and i remember Way back when, when I first watched this movie, uh, the two things that stuck with me is just the uh, ridiculous amount of, of screaming, a lot of long shots of going to and fro and running over the wilderness, and I was very bored by the landscape shots, and I was uh, very entranced by the oogie boogie look at me, I'm a freaky dirt man or whatever kind of attitude. I, uh, that was what has stuck with me. So for the longest time, I was like, why does everyone revere this movie so highly? Because it was just a lot of screaming rocks and oogie boogie fur covered madmen. So it just never really struck that chord with me. Mm-hmm. But then I didn't understand sociopolitical in- implications of this film at all when I was like 
14, mm-hmm. 15 years old, right? So it was very much over my head at that point. And I didn't understand a lot of what the draw is. Although now mm-hmm. I, I do. It's still not my favorite movie in the entire planet, that's for sure. But I, I do get what a foundation it was. And I really like how it fed into the much more brutal remake of this film. Yeah, the remake is is quite gory. This film, to me, I saw it about the same age you did. Um, not the same time, because we got a little bit of a, a, an age difference between us. But yeah, I was about 14 or 15 years old when I saw this for the first time. And I remember watching it. I was really in that headspace of trying to... It wasn't even just horror movies, but I wanted to watch films that I knew people... Th- felt were important so i would i i I was like at that age i was really trying to like get things you know get another notch just trying to see as much um shit as i possibly could and understanding i'd seen uh a few of the nightmare on elm streets at that point i hadn't seen all of them but uh and i had uh not seen last house on the left at that point but i i'd seen people under the stairs which might have actually been the first Wes Craven movie I'd ever seen. But this film, to me, like, it, it, I, I I, really felt when I was watching it that I was watching something like, oh, like, this is like, like, one of those, like, it, it seemed very serious to me at the time. Like, it seemed like, like, it was dealing with, like, um, serious things. And I think I actually saw Deliverance around the same time because I was like, it has notorious scenes in it that like you really got to watch so, like got to watch deliverance and and um and that type of stuff so like i remember like i think i like respected it more than liked it if that makes yeah, sense it does and whereas as i got older i started to like it more just because it's fun to watch it goes fast i like the dogs like it's it's got fun stuff in it um but yeah, no, like when it comes to um, Craven's work, like I probably like other films better, but I also really like this film too. And and like I said, like when, when I got a little older and a little wiser, I got into college and that's probably when I saw it again for the first time, whenever I got the Blu-ray or wherever, that was um, when you, like I was really, really enjoying it, particularly since like I had seen a lot of other films from that era coming out of America in the 1970s and what these directors were commenting on. That's the one thing that I I like that there are these sort of diversions from what a lot of other filmmakers might have done as a knee-jerk reaction to things like when Big Bob is dying and his wife is just in straight-faced denial. Very strange reaction that is goes against her Mm -hmm. 50s mom sensibilities and her character entirely. I like that decision. And the decision to send doug running through the wilderness for his baby and it's not a mother retrieving the baby whatsoever and doug has been not absent through this film but he went on a little adventure when everyone was splitting up and looking for a way to repair the car and taking care of food taking care of water taking care of the dogs doug was like i'm gonna go scavenge all that army shit and you forget he's even there yeah, he's around and he is supposed to be the person that Bobby's going to confide in about Beauty's demise. And he is, you know, banging his wife in the in the car. So there is there are points and, and beats within this film where he becomes. But it's not till the end of the movie that he rises up 
as this protector and caregiver. And it sort of comes out of left field, quite unexpected, but it's a really good decision as far as the script goes to not just have, just not just fall back on the women at this point to be the thinkers and the doers, but to have this guy pull up all fatherly instincts and just do what he can to save his daughter. And at the same time, they, um, while they're doing that with Doug, you have Bobby and Brenda back at just like the fucking, you know, fucking Marsha Brady and uh, just like back there screaming constantly. But then she gets in her mind a fucking ghoulish MacGyver trick. It is ghoulish MacGyver. Like where it's like all of a sudden, like, you know, Bobby has his idea of like if we burn if we burn our tires they will come help like we maybe the military will see us and come help us they had asked the military for help already and uh pluto managed to you know pull the wool over their eyes to let them know what their defensive capabilities were and they're just like we're sitting ducks we have one gun with two bullets we have nothing else and that's how jupiter and pluto know that they're defenseless um because jupiter's not an idiot He's not going to like when the whole family's there with the dogs and everything like that. He's not like, all right, now we go and attack. Like he waits for them to split up. He waits to pick them off and he gets really angry uh, and starts losing focus once Mercury is killed. And now all of a sudden they've lost one of their own, but still they still are trying to get strategic information. So Bobby's idea of like, maybe the army can help us. Like, the government can help us. Somebody can help us. Brenda has the epiphany. We have to help ourselves. No one's coming to help us. And so they use their mother's dead body. And what I like about them setting up their mother's dead body in that stupid little chair is, like, it's, like, <laughs> do you remember the episode of The Simpsons where, like, Homer, like, falls in love with this crab, this lobster, and he gets it really big and then he accidentally kills it and then he's crying the whole time <laughs> while he's eating it. It's like they're carrying them around. They're like, oh, ha, 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 we can't do this. Oh, ha, ha, okay, we have to like tie a rope. Oh, ha, ha, oh my God, what if we're monsters? What has become of us? We, we, are we the monsters or are they? It's, it's so good. Now, if there would have been any food left in their house, they could have done the same trap with a bunch of fucking food at this point because they are starving cannibals. They are starving cannibals. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. What I do like, though, is everyone gets a bit of an assist because maybe the plan doesn't work if Jupiter and Pluto attack the RV. But guess what? The beast is going to come and just take out another one. This dog kills two of these fucking people mm -hmm. and not before he like rips the Achilles tendon off of Pluto's. He's an amazing dog, much better than the littlest hobo. Could you imagine if they made an episode of the littlest hobo where the littlest hobo killed somebody? I would love that. I found that this was probably the best Brenda and Bobby duo too. And it was quite the explosion when they decide to pull another MacGyver. This is where, like, I'm no fun to watch movies with. I'm glad I'm sitting there. Like, I watch most of these things by myself uh, until we're able to, like, sit in the same room with each other. It's like I'm sitting there watching this door trick, and I just keep thinking about, like, all right, 
So you have these strike anywhere matches. How many times does this work when you're like, and it fucking goes off? I was like, what are the chances? And and there's also a part of me where it's like not entirely sure. I'm just like, Jupiter is clearly playing possum or he's just so tough that the explosion could kill him or something. But I'm just like, this, this, tra- this trap is so specific to like, it's kind of just like he goes to the mother's body and they basically um, hog tie him and drag him with the with the car. It's cool. Yeah, it's very but cool. But like, like, he had to be standing right there and he had to open up that door just so. And I'm just thinking, I was like, what are the odds that any of this would fucking work? It is like a Scooby-Doo trap. And why wouldn't it just blow him back? It's not going to blow him up. It's going to blow him back. Like, that's what explosions do when you're on the periphery. Maybe unharmed shrapnel is the biggest worry there. And they didn't pack anything full of shrapnel. Not at all. And they don't know that he's a mutated monkey man that can, you know, take tire irons to the face. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. Like, they know because they don't get any of the lore. Poor Bob is, is screaming and dying by the time they encounter him. So they don't even know what they're up against that way. But, yeah, it is very weird. At least they use more than one match. We'll give them that much. That's true. And and whatever. If it, it's cool, it works. But what I love is the fact that like it 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 like at least at the very least injures Jupiter. But like what really gets him is just fucking Brenda screaming and just fucking hitting him in the back with those axe axe shots. Very cool. I love it. I love like uh, you know, I, I can say it's it's like a hoary cliche all I want. But I do love it. It's like that moment in, um, I think it was like John Rambo, where like the Christian missionary beats a man to death with like a fucking rock, just like bashes his head in. When at the beginning of the movie, he's like, there's no excuse for killing somebody. That is like, there's no reason to ever kill somebody. Cut to 90 minutes later, just like brutally killing someone. And I was just like, I love like, you know, these this annoying, goofy family at the beginning of the movie and just fucking hysterical, savage killers. And I know that's the point of the flick, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it just it always gets me. It always is enjoyable to me. It will always be enjoyable. And I think that it, it almost gets heightened when the person is vocal pacifist or they are slightly annoying. And like Brenda crying about movie stars and fancy cars, she wants her fast food she wants taco bell she wants comfort she wants a shower she wants a hotel bathrobe god damn it yeah and then to this and then doug has this whole sequence with ruby i love how quickly he like teams up with ruby like he absolutely gets the assignment he's just like okay this chick for whatever reason is on my side because ruby once jupiter realizes that Pluto Pluto hasn't been killed at this point. He eventually will be killed by the beast. But the second that Pluto is super injured by the dog, Jupiter gives the kill order to the baby. I don't know why they were just like, we're going to keep the baby alive. Like, I don't, what's that in service to? They're just going to eat it anyway. Like, why is it a freshness thing? Like, I'm, that's not clear to me. But Ruby pulls the old switcheroo. Yep. Lucky for that little squealing, suckling pig they had. Now, they could be waiting for the baby to poop a whole bunch because they want to clean the poop out. If you feed it apples and change what's in its intestines to something yummy instead of something yucky, then it cooks up better. So that could have been why they're waiting. And this is in no way 
a, a baby recipe. This is just... I was going to say, is this cooking with Leap and Lydia? No, it is not. Leap and Lydia's Backyard Gourmet at all. This is just <laughs> like basic yummy pig cooking. Okay, okay. It's like it's like a pig roast. We used to have those in my family too. A nice good old pig roast. If you want to like sit around a fire for like six hours and watch a pig cook. Well, it could have been waiting for just dinner time. That could just be it. Maybe they have a schedule. That's true. It was they they did go to attack at like first light, so it's the morning, I suppose. Doug finds himself with Ruby, um, who can, by the way, haul ass over these fucking rocks. Like holy shit, is Ruby fast? That's one of the things that you see when you look up this film online, and it's one of the the trivia things that has always sort of stuck out in my mind is that they they did cast her as a fast runner. They, that was part yeah. of the casting process was to have the girls that would be Ruby run so they could run fast. Janice Blythe or Judith Blythe or something like that is the actress that plays Ruby or something yeah, like that. Janice. Yeah, she does a great job. Um, it's fucking fast as fuck, boy. Running with that baby, it's very obvious that the baby is like a prop. Yeah. Doug gets himself into a little bit of a rattlesnake hole, though. Which is about time. I mean, we haven't seen a lot of the animals in this desert area that there would be like it is about time by this point we're waiting like sure we've seen a tarantula yeah but i mean we haven't seen the vast amount of wildlife that there would be even just the bugs they don't really seem to mention the amount of bugs that would be out at dusk and things like that but yeah it's about time we get some rattlesnake pit action i really like how ruby uses the snake in this battle between doug and um mars you know, Ruby is, uh, yeah, there's also like an interesting scene. Ruby is yelling at Mars to like take her instead. And I'm just like, what is that? It, like, I, I was, I'm, I'm very confused by the scene because it's like, take her, like, like he wants Ruby more to kill Ruby or to like offering up her body to him. Or is it my alliance or like we're have our you know, what is what is she offering herself for in place of doug and the baby i I'm, I'm not entirely clear on that i don't know if it's just at that point food or like if her if because her, her leaving was a threat to them in some fashion that i don't fully understand but that she would remain with him Mm-hmm. I mean, as a sister or a mom to for the future children, like, I don't know. But I think it was mostly for food. I think that's because that it was the biggest threat to them, right, was starvation. So I think that's what she would be getting at. Because, yeah, it's not it's not really a fair trade. And he would just kill them all anyway. So yeah, like, what is it like, that she has to barter with? And, and And at this point, they don't know that Pluto and Jupiter are dead at all. Mm-hmm. Like, as far as he's concerned, his father gave a kill order on the baby. And so I I even think that Mars's opinion on it is not even going farther than, well, Jupiter said, told me to do this, and we all listen to Jupiter, so that's why I'm doing this. I don't, I don't see how Ruby has anything to do with it, other than the fact that, like, she did technically betray them, but she's going to super betray them. By, like, fucking throwing a snake at him. Yep. Yeah. And, I don't know, I like this whole, like, using the snake and using a natural weapon. I mean, rocks are great natural weapons, too, but snakes are even more deadly. And, sure, they may have been, to a certain extent, immune to this due to 
previous snake bites. But yeah, he gets bit good. It definitely is an aspect of the film that I did wish that we could see more of. Not just so much wildlife, but like one of the things that the later films, the, the remake really brings home is that these hill people know the lay of the land quite well. Like you are on their turf. They know every rock. They know every bush. They know every tunnel and cave. And so the fact that they're caught so flat-footed so often, like they can't find people, it doesn't really mm-hmm. seem like it doesn't really seem like the Carters have any more or less home field advantage than the hill people. Like it seems all kind of equal, if that makes any sense. No, it it does because they are supposed to have been one with the land at this point, having lived out there since 1935, basically, in Jupiter's mm-hmm. case. So it is awkward because they do have their hills with eyes, you know, the walkie-talkies, and the fact that they are all have a good angle on these people at all sides. And this is that when main thoroughfare from the gas station to the army base, this is the place where they would have been, you know, picking people off for years and years and years. They must know this area better than anything. There's no reason why they would have lost sight of somebody or track of somebody. Even the dogs, they should be able to keep tabs on. But no, it is it is awkward. Not disparaging the beast at all, any way, shape, or form. I love the beast. You know I do. But I know you do. why is it that Jupiter and his pack are so stymied by a dog have they never encountered wild dogs out in the desert like they seem to eat dogs often mama makes a Mm -hmm. reference to it what like Mm -hmm. what is is it just like the beast is a super dog or what they should be able to handle this type of wildlife no the beast is a super dog i mean he was probably a canine unit reject knowing big bob and the way that he behaves he was a cop yeah and he's got two german shepherds Fuck, that makes total sense. That, I, holy shit, Lids. You know what? Like, you just cracked the world wide open for me right now. I didn't, I was always wondering, like, why is the Beast such a fucking super dog? He's a cop dog, obviously. He's gotta be. And they never, I don't think they mention at all where, like, he just assumed they're family dogs. They're treated like family dogs. But that would explain why the Beast grabs the radio. And why he's so, like... Knows exactly how to take down a man. Knows exactly how to fucking subdue them and kill them. Like, yeah. n- like, wow. That like, I wouldn't say that it was a plot hole to me because I was just like, it's fun. It's just fun to have like a cool dog killing stuff. Because so many people are always like, does the dog die? Is the dog okay? I don't like when dogs are in horror movies. I'm like, not only, I mean, one dog dies, yeah. but not only does this dog not die, he fucking murders people. For two yep. movies. <laughs> He's a killer dog. They should just do another movie called The Beast and just be about following the beast around, starting with when he killed that poodle and got its bloodlust. I know. Oh, my God. I would watch that movie. This does end with that appeasing of bloodlust. We have Doug, who has finally pinned Mars. It's basically the last remaining, isn't it? Like, Pluto's out there somewhere still, isn't he? Or is he dead entirely? He got his throat torn out. It's not clear because, spoilers, if anyone's ever curious about The Hills Have Eyes 2, it's a weird movie. But Pluto, Michael Berryman, is in the second movie. Pluto Mm -hmm. is a surviving member of this clan 
Pluto, Ruby, who's now Rachel, and spoilers, Jupiter has an older brother that we didn't hear about in this movie called the Reaper, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but as like, I'm sorry, like as far as I'm concerned, if you look at this movie, like Pluto was very clearly killed. The only one that seems to be still alive is Ruby and Mama, who didn't even bother getting out of bed. Like, eh, what's going on over there? And like, I guess she's just going to sleep in that tent and just wonder where everyone is. She'll probably starve to death because she has half of a dead dog to eat and the pig. <sighs> and that's the end of it, you know? So I don't... She's not very mobile. She's not very savvy. She's no hunter. Uh, she's probably not left that cave ever. So I don't think she has long to live. There's something that I love about the way that this movie ends. Uh, there's an alternate ending uh, for anyone curious, but th- the the way that the movie ends officially is it's a fade to red. And I kept thinking about like when I was watching, I was like, doesn't this movie do a, a red? Doesn't the screen go red? And I was like, does it go red when the dog kills somebody? Or I was I, I was very preoccupied by when does the screen go red? And then when Doug like plunges the dagger several times into Mars's chest and then it goes red while ruby screams like no doug no like they're fucking friends or something i was just like you just (laughs) like what are you doing like and then she's very sad because like how does she even know his name yeah because even like earlier doug's like ruby take the take the baby go run i was like what are you guys like friends like you literally just met during this chase we using my first name now it just ends it goes the end in the alternate ending you see bobby brenda and doug and the baby walking down the road together to, you know, parts unknown, I guess, back to civilization. But uh, assuming they don't, the baby doesn't die of like heat stroke and dehydration before they get wherever they're going. The movie just ends and it's like the end. There's no denouement. It's literally like kill, 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 punch, 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 the end. There, You don't need to say anything else. It seems abrupt, but when you think about it, I absolutely love how the film ends. Yeah, I like that better than seeing people walk off into the sunset for sure, which is just so cliche. They might as well be sitting on the back bumper of an ambulance covered in fucking emergency blankets. <laughs> yeah, clutching their cocoa. Do you think there's any more of them still out there? I don't know, Brenda. All I can say for certain is these hills have eyes. Oh my god. That would have been perfect. That would have been perfect. Oh my god, I think that we should do yet another remake of The Hills Have Eyes. I mean, I I did like the ending very much because it is just so brutal and it drives home the message. And I mean, very few times in this do you feel like you're being spoon-fed this have and have not story at all. Mm -hmm. But the end does drive it home. So it's like, in case you missed it, you get kind of weedy and uninterested, uninteresting Doug does a total 180 into feral killer. It's an interesting choice considering that Doug, like so much of the movie is predicated on what Bobby and Brenda are doing. And Bobby in particular, like Bobby is like a huge front half of this movie. We spend a lot of time with his character and what he's doing, how he's reacting to the fact that Beauty was killed, how he's trying to keep things from the women and also worried about everyone else, making sure the door was locked. A lot of scenes are about what or Bobby is trying to do and then what Brenda and Bobby are trying to do. And Brenda and Bobby killed Jupiter 
before yeah. like that's the other crazy thing you would think traditionally jupiter would be the last one of these people to be killed because he's the big boss he's the leader but he's like just sort of unceremoniously killed and mars is the last one and there's something to be said about the fact that like mars is now doing this as an adherence to orders of a dead man and doug is just wanting to get his baby back like his wife is dead. His his in-laws are dead. He doesn't know what he doesn't know how many of these people are even around. He doesn't know Jupiter. Nobody really knows anybody. Like it's just except he like knows Ruby now. But like that's very fascinating to me. And and Wes Craven like even takes it farther than he did in Last House on the Left in this film because in Last House they end on the parents in the living room like covered in blood and like the the keystone cops show up and are just like my goodness but this doesn't even give you a chance for characters to recoil in the horror that they have been forced to commit it's just it's over it ends Mm -hmm. on such an adrenaline high very cool Mm -hmm. no it is super cool that way and if he would have continued in this dark trend who knows where he would have taken that but the the reaction was quite mixed when it came out and there was a lot of people that found it just far too brutal where we we sitting here in 2021 are a little confused about did brenda even get raped but that was not a question back then it Mm -hmm. was a brutal rape uh, on on screen apparently and i don't know if there's scenes missing i know that there are some cut versions of it and there were things cut for its rating of its x rating at the time and there was a headless bob and things like that that we get to see now and a lot more of the camera lingering on the dying bob uh those were things that were cut but was was there more brutality against brenda that was perhaps cut i'm not really sure i don't know i mean the film's already 90 minutes long like i don't even really know what that would be in service to but mm-hmm. you're like who who's to say but i think you know thinking about if you look at his two early horror films the last house and the last left and this it might he might have just kind of thought this is all I really have to say about this now. Mm-hmm. I'm done with the 16 millimeter. Sh- so shocking. Cause it looks so real Vietnam footage stuff that I was horrified by like that era is over. And really like it's getting into the 1980s and that plastic new morning in America sheen that movies were about to take on Wes Craven found himself at the top of the pile, once again, completely reinventing himself and delivering a new kind of horror to a new kind of audience that wanted something different. Because in a, in a weird way, what I'll give Wes Craven a lot of credit for is he always seemed to know where the winds were blowing. And he was always ready to be the next kind of director that the modern day audience wanted to see. And you would think that if he was all about chasing a high after Nightmare on Elm Street, he would have just jumped right into more of that. Instead, shortly after, he brought A Serpent in the Rainbow, mm-hmm. like a fantastic, beautiful film about some some really interesting historical structures that were mm-hmm. new. And now it's the, the movie that everyone that knows anything about zombie culture has gone back to... Mm-hmm. And, and has explored Haitian rituals and Haitian culture via this movie. But at the time, it was like untrodden territory or a territory that people felt taboo to speak of, right? So 
uh, really groundbreaking in that sense. And I really in enjoy that he didn't stick with these trends. He wasn't just like, oh, that was had a, a modicum of success in this particular pocket. I'm just going to chase that. He chased what he wanted to do next. Man, you're right about that. And also, uh, free plug for Serpent of the Rainbow. You're making me want to fucking go watch that movie again. Oh, man. Yeah, it's so great. I, it's so great. And that's one of the things, like, back in the day when we didn't have the internet, I don't know where my parents got their news from. I really don't. But they were on the cutting edge. By the time I saw The Hills Have Eyes, they had already seen Last House. Granted, I was two years old when The Hills Have Eyes came out, and they had been uh, in their late teens so the last house on the left would have been all the talk, I suppose, but they didn't have, you know, this is small town, Ontario. We weren't like downtown LA where people talked about movies. Mm -hmm. These things were showing up in our local newspapers, I suppose. So when Serpent of the Rainbow came out, that was a buzzworthy thing because it had come from the filmmaker that brought us such soul shattering pictures as Last House and The Hells Have Eyes. And just to see where he went next was exciting. They didn't want a repeat of what he'd done before by any means, just to see where he went next and where he brought us was fantastic. Where he continued too, because People Under the Stairs was even a further departure, a way, like a total left turn mm -hmm. from Serpent the Rainbow. Beautiful film. So yeah, I, I now I want to watch it again too. Speaking of next and not repeating ourselves, uh, what do we got next for them, Lids? Coming up next, we have The Hills Have Eyes. Again. What? Yeah, the remake. Lydia and I are of the two minds of like, I always like to, to acknowledge the films that set the table, that were for their time, interesting and shocking and brutal. And Lids is all about like, let's get wet and wild in here. I want it gross. I do want it gross. And I mean, I often do have a newfound appreciation for the original pictures when I see some sort of remake. And a lot of the times the remakes aren't as good or don't hold as much water. A lot of people can attest to that. And sometimes like in the, in for me, the case is a Suspiria. It, the remake made me appreciate the original so much more and elevated mm -hmm. it in so mm -hmm. many ways. Uh, mm -hmm. This this is quite the opposite, of course. A lot of people enjoy the remake of The Hills Have Eyes and not the original, and I'm in that camp. Um, not to say I don't like the original, but yeah, yeah. To see where it came from, what set the table, as you say, and who picks the bones clean more than, what, 20 years later? People love it, and people who love it really love it. But when we're talking about some of the greatest remakes of all time, I don't think enough people include The Hills Have Eyes. Mm -hmm. You'll hear a lot about The Thing and The Fly, The Blob, and and people will talk about how the 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 new the when the Czech, Texas Chainsaw Massacre got remade, how that kickstarted this wave of remakes that made so much money. But uh, Hills Have Eyes gets shuffled in the the cracks there and uh i, I i'm happy to talk about it because it is a very good movie i think that it could be some of the same reasons that this original film had its detractors where you have some animal violence uh brutal sexual violence and a threat against a, a minor like a baby those sorts mm -hmm. of things uh hills <laughs> have eyes 2007 cranks it up 25 notches so that could be part oh, of yeah. what people just don't want to revisit that if they're tender of spirit. Listen, I don't want to see a movie in which 
fucking Billy Any Teen and Miss All American get terrorized, terrorized by a monkey man who was 20 pounds and then as big as a grown man at 10 and then didn't really seem to get much bigger after that. But it's still scary. He didn't seem that hairy either. But whatever. No, no. It was the olden days, Lids. Stop being so damn literal. The olden days? It wasn't that long ago. I mean, Jesus, Murphy. I was two when it was made. I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Idiot. And you've been listening to the Beast Appreciation Cast, Dead Air.